This episode is supported by Unisoft Law and Pulat Unisoft. We are all about special litigation projects. My files range from condo disputes to oppression remedies, but what they all have in common is very special clients. Ask around and you will find out why many lawyers refer civil and commercial litigation files to me. Find out more at lotio.ca. Hello everyone, my name is Pulat Yunusov. I'm the host of the Yunusov Question, and this is uh, yet another great interview from the Yunusov Question, this time with Barry Weintraub. Hello, Barry. Hello, how are you, Pulat? I'm very good. Barry is a very experienced litigation lawyer uh, in Toronto, and uh, I understand that you were called to the bar in 1989, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Okay. So being called uh, to the bar in the 80s, well, the 80s were on the way out, but still it counts as the 80s. How was it different than, I'm sure you experienced uh, um, uh, sort of as an observer calls to the bar in more recent years, your articling students, your junior associates, and so on and so forth. What is it different? What is it different about being called to the bar today uh, from being called to the bar in 1989? Um, well, if I got called to the bar today, um, I'd be really old for the beginning of my career. Um, but back then, I was young, and I think like everyone else, you're you're young and you're optimistic, um, and. I think in, I started actually as a summer student in 86 um, at Steichman Elliott, um, had a fantastic experience working with John Sapinka on public inquiries, constitutional cases, libel actions. It, it was um, it was really great fun. Um, work was fun. And I have actually always felt that work is fun. I still feel that way about it. Um, I think one of the things I see today, and a lot of this comes from social media, but I, I think there's a lot of um, a lot less optimism among younger lawyers today about the future and about whether they can have fun practicing law, and and that I think is is sad because to me it, it's it's always been an adventure. It's always been about learning new things, you get to help people, you get respect, you get to work with language, you get to work with people. Um, it's just a great job. And and so I would say that there's a general sense of a bit more pessimism, a bit less optimism than in in the 80s when I started. But, but that isn't really that new. It changed um, and it changes with situation in the world. Um, early 90s, GST came in, the real estate market crashed, and all of a sudden, people weren't as optimistic as they were in the in the late 80s. Um, then what happened is because of, of the market changes, there was all this litigation that got started in the 90s. And then there were delays in the court. Mm -hmm. And the delays in the court lead to 
um, loosening of summary judgment motion rules. And so then there's a big move to do summary judgment motions. And then there's a swing back away. So there's there pendulum swings over time that repeat themselves. In, in And we as lawyers are not immune from what's going on in the world around us. So I, I think if, if you look over the last five years of the world, in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of bad news. Um, there's been a lot of controversy, controversial leaders, um, controversial people getting headlines and controversial events that have, I think, made people more angry, more expressive of anger, and a little bit not as nice in terms of, of being respectful to others. And, and so now what, what we're hearing, and I think in, in courts, what we're seeing a lot of is civility is the, is the um, issue now that people are talking about it, about how uncivil it is. And I find that actually quite an interesting um, thing, having gone through four decades or five decades of, of different types of lawyers. Um, in, in my experience, actually, the, in, in, when I started, all the lawyers knew each other and they were gladiators and it was kind of a, a, a rite of passage to, to get beat up on and to survive and you prided yourself on surviving. And I had a lot of good lawyers I worked with who sort of taught me the ropes of how to deal with nasty lawyers. Um, and and the, the best advice I ever got was working with Paul Rulo taught me that what you do when you get in a war of words with someone is right for the judge. Judges don't wanna hear that nonsense. So just appeal to the better side of the other lawyers, write for the benefit of the court, encourage the other side to cooperate rather than making noise. And it works because if the other lawyer is smart, they will realize that judges don't want to hear bickering and, and they'll be more constructive. If they're dumb on the other side, then what they will do is continue to fight. And so it's a, you know, people can be as nasty as they want, um, but they're gonna lose more often than not. And that's what I think lawyers need to understand today is it's, it, if you wanna win it, about, when it's about winning, the, the smart lawyer will be civil and, and it's less effective to be nasty. The other thing I want to say is that over the years, what I've found is you can't be all things to all people. You really have to, at some point, learn about yourself, learn who you are, what you can do and what you can't do. And um, you can't please all people. And I think a lot of the problems with civility comes from clients. There's a lot of clients out there who don't want civility they want somebody who's going to be a tough guy who's going to beat up the person that they are fighting with and and so they will find a lawyer who will tell them what they want to hear and will do things the way they want to do it and 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 if you're if you as a lawyer are predisposed or have been trained or learned how to fight 
um, and, and fight aggressively, then you will come across and make a very good impression with a client who wants a lawyer like that. Um, and that that's, so it's, it's not so simple as to say all lawyers should be the same. I, I think also you know, looking at this from a broader socio-political perspective, there's a lot of people in our society who are not privileged, who are underprivileged, less privileged on the outside. And, and you know, when I went to school, the, the concern was that courts were about and for privileged people. And it's too conservative. Um, and it's all about rich people fighting over how much money they're going to get in litigation, um, as opposed to big issues of social justice where people get left out. And, and I guess my point is, if you're fighting for someone who is in a bad way, who's downtrodden, if you're not a little bit angry, are you really doing your job to well represent what your clients are experiencing? Um, you know, we're, we are here as professionals doing job a job for our clients in trying to speak for them. In a democracy, that is a a true privilege. It's it's something that is a responsibility, because if 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 people cannot speak for themselves, um, they rely on us as lawyers to get their point of view across. Sometimes a little bit of anger is, in in my perspective anyway, warranted and necessary, and and I think. We, we lose sight of that. Um, and let me give a, the classic example. I'm going to weigh in on the, on the Joe Groya case, where he was defending an, a very unpopular person charged with criminal offenses. His defense um, was that the prosecution had been overzealous. And so he would make objections. And the prosecution rose to the bait and made it, uh, turned it into and took it as a personal attack and got really upset about it. And the fight was on. And that in, in a lot of ways played into the hands of the defense strategy that, that there was, the prosecution had gone overboard. Um, and in, in my view, you, know, you have to keep in mind the context of it, you can say, in fairness, that's not a very good legal argument. But you know what? A lot of times, if you're representing unpopular people, um, perhaps that is the best defense that's available to you, mm -hmm. and and you run with it. And you know, a good lawyer will make sure that by the time you hit the courtroom steps you frame the issues in a way that puts your client in a in the best position possible. Um, and someone who's fighting the establishment is is you know is a, a different way of doing things. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. It really depends on who you're representing. And I think that's that that's something that there isn't one way of doing lawyering that is the only good way and the only right way. And there is not a one type of lawyering that
that fits all clients and all client situations in every case. I think as lawyers, we need to be adaptable a bit, have more than one base, more than one trick, uh, more than one tool in our, in our toolbox for how we present cases, how we think about cases, and how we um, prosecute. Wow. This is, uh, this is so much to digest and it really rings a, uh, strikes a chord and rings a bell and, uh, uh, it's moving. And I think it's, uh, probably the best 10 minute uh, graduation speech to uh, an outgoing law school class that I've heard. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that law schools, uh, in Canada watch, mm -hmm this show because the law students really need to hear this and junior lawyers i would say up to the fifth or the seventh year of practice this is definitely gold what you just said it's really really important i, I mean one thing i can say that that I'm, there are others around who will remember this but the nastiest lawyers i ever came across were the ones who were 15 or 20 years older than me when i was a puppy um and <laughs> it was it was kind of fun in a way to be able to go to battle and survive. Um, you you had to be a little bit strong. You had to be a little bit um, self-assured. And I think I think that is a, a another aspect of what I see in the legal profession today is that a lot of us are uncertain of our future and and that reflects, um, in the way we think of our job, think of ourselves and and our preoccupations. Um, from my perspective, I, I think that we should keep in mind that our job as is as a lawyer to speak for people, to help people with their problems. And what that means is we, we need to focus on our clients' problems and help them solve them. Full stop. That's our job. Um, it is it, it, to do that well. I think we have to take care of ourselves. Um, we have to be a a person who can give good advice to clients who are in need. And, and in a way, I would say that's sort of the full stop. That's where our job starts and ends. But in doing that, we have to take care of ourselves so that we can do that for our clients. Everyone in the world, you know, has some some mood issues. Um, I have happy days. I have sad days. Um, everyone else does too. We all have our problems. What what we're lucky enough to do is that people come to us when they're in need, and I I think we have a responsibility to help our clients. And, and that means taking care of ourselves. It means, I think, a, a certain amount of mental toughness is required um, to, to be able to put your own problems, your own um, issues to the side and do your best for your clients, because that's what it's all about. It's, it's why we have all chosen this profession, is to help our clients. And, and it's not really about ourselves and and i think we should um keep that in mind and try and make it less about ourselves and more about our clients
we're lucky people. We are. And uh, we are lucky because we're also survivors, uh, at least those of us who are still around. Uh, and I, I, I like uh, the idea of survival as uh, an element of training. And it sounds probably counter to the current thinking or to the trendy thinking, but I don't think it's as cruel as it sounds at all. I, I think, for example, that you cannot know civility until you saw incivility. So uh, junior lawyers who never see incivility, they how can they really know civility? This idea that you need to know the bad to understand the good is straight out of Old Testament, I think. It's really old. And... Uh, uh, we live in, in the age where mentorship is much less available. Uh, and I, I, of course, you want to deal with incivility when you have a mentor at your side who can help you identify what happened, uh, break it down, cope, and so on and so forth. So I want to hear from you. And you, always, you I'm sure you've had mentors like that. You worked at top-notch firms. Uh, all your life, and then you started your own top-notch firm. Uh, tell me about the worst example of incivility that you experienced as a junior lawyer. You said that uh, you had quite a few. Uh, well, well, the, the classic one I remember uh, was a great lawyer named Ian Outerbridge, who was um, the, the big man on campus at U of T in the 50s was one of the leading lawyers, was um, former Justice Farley's partner for a while, I believe, um, a, a great lawyer. Um, and his style was bombastic. Um, I was involved in a case, um, and, and it was a multi-party case. We were working with another of the parties together and brought a motion that the other party that was our our ally in the in the um action was not able to bring and and so mr outerbridge wrote me a a nasty letter um saying the the judge had ordered no motions to be brought and you brought the motion um and then he ended it with the line you in in bold block letters at the bottom. Um, you'd be well advised to exercise caution in your interactions with members of the opposite gender in light of the no means no legislation um, that the that had just come out in the early 90s. Um, I was um, dumbfounded by this a little bit. Um, and I, I was working with Peter Howard at um, Steichman Elliott at the time. Peter was a was and is very knowledgeable about famous quotations. And I had seen on a letter he had written a quotation from Shakespeare. So I I stole it and and wrote back with a, a preamble to my letter um, that that said there is no terror in your threats. For I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass by me as the idle wind, which I respect not. Um, that's from Act Five of Julius Caesar. 
apparent. I'm 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 not a, a, a Shakespeare scholar. I want to point that out. I'm a I'm a prairie kid. Um, but I used that and then said your rhetoric is as offensive as your remarks are inaccurate. And then simply responded to what he said and, and said, we brought the motion and we're entitled to bring the motion and we weren't bound, blocked by it. Um, that letter brought a retort from Mr. Outerbridge um, that was even better. Um, he said, um, something about past wind being very idle. Um, and um, it, it was a, an incredibly clever response by him. Um, it, you know, it this was fun, is I guess what I'm saying. It was harsh, but I survived. I, I you know, I, you don't let, we didn't let things bother us that way. If you did, you had no future, really, was the, the the way things were looked at back then. And the old time lawyers were gladiators. They fought with each other, sort of like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons with Sam and Ralph. Um, the coyote is, is out hunting and the, Sam, the uh, Ralph, he's Ralph and Sam, the sheepdog is protecting the sheep from the coyote. And so the sheepdog beats up on the coyote all day long. And then at five o'clock, the whistle blows and they walk home together and, and say, see you tomorrow, Sam. Um, you know, that was kind of the, the ethic in those days. Um, and, and they took it to heart. These lawyers, you know, I, I heard stories from Mr. Supenka about Walter Williston um, would always invite opposing counsel out for dinner whenever they were at the Supreme Court in Ottawa. And, and they'd have dinner before. The reason Walter Williston did that is he was um, very... Um, experienced at drinking and um, would drink the other lawyers under the table and they would both go home very drunk and Walter Williston got an advantage from that because the next day he could function and the other lawyer could. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it's it's sort of part of the lore that, that I learned. Um, you learn stories about people um and and how things were done they all the lawyers all knew each other they respected each other they knew the each other's weaknesses and strengths and sometimes they didn't respect the others they they said what they thought and and you knew each other i think today very few people know other lawyers really well you know a few people you know a lot of people very um loosely at first but it takes a long, long time to get to know people really well. Um, and that's and and that's where we have lost a bit of collegiality because in, in, you know, as an articling student, I got sent on motions, discoveries, um, assignment courts all by myself. I did a, a trial, a small claims court trial all by myself as an articling student. We got in court a lot more we saw other lawyers, we were going up against more senior lawyers, and you learn from them. And, you know, I remember the senior lawyers that I was on the opposite side of cases who would help me. And that always stuck with me. It's something I've always tried to do is help other lawyers. Um, and, and part of that is because I remember what it's like to 
be thrown in and you, you learn on your feet, you make some mistakes, um, but a mistake is not the end of the world. A mistake is a learning experience and you get better from it and you vow not to, not to make the same mistake again. Um, if you never make mistakes, then you never learn. And, and I think you know, that, that, that is a, a comfort zone that people don't have. And, and look, even, even from throughout my career, there are some people who love going to court and some people who really don't. They get nervous. Um, they, they have to push themselves to prepare. And, and they do it. And, and they find a way to make it work for them. Um, I, I knew one lawyer that I worked with who would throw up every morning before going to court, but would win, would, would do the work necessary to overcome that and, and be able to function. Um, everyone has their own, their own issues and, and it, it is, you know, up to us to find a way to, to overcome them and, and do the best we can for our clients. I feel like uh, modern stories of incivility are so petty and low caliber and modern perpetrators of incivility are so petty and low caliber it's, compared to the perpetrators in your stories. In I, your stories, it's so literally highbrow. I, I want to experience that. There's a there's another one from the mid '90s um, that I remember was circulated um, a discovery transcript of um, two lawyers and and one of the lawyers is, was a very prominent litigator um, and and wasn't particularly well liked um, and the the what the transcript showed is is this there was a, a dispute over some question and a bit of an argument on the record. And then this line, let the record show that opposing counsel is pouring coffee on my papers. Let the record show that he's doing it again. Um, that lawyer who poured the coffee got disciplined. Um, and and I, I remember reading this and I, I thought, what's the real story behind this? So I picked up the phone and I called the lawyer who had poured the coffee on the other lawyer. And um, the the interesting thing about that story was what he told me is he, he said, you know, I I kind of lost my temper. We had a, a a firm retreat scheduled for that Friday morning, and he had opposed and he he wouldn't allow an adjournment of a discovery. And it was really it was in the middle of the summer, and I was really angry and I shouldn't have done it. And I lost control. And he said, and I, I really regretted he was disciplined by the Law Society and he apologized and and it, it passed. But but he also made an interesting comment. He he said, the interesting thing is how many calls I got from other lawyers congratulating me for doing it and saying they wish they'd done it themselves. Um and and look, this is a stressful job. It's it's something where the other lawyers have a job to do as well. Their job is to advocate for their clients and to make your client look bad. You're, you're just the representative of your client. None of this is personal. I, I was, I was being, I was crossing my, my first case as a, as a lawyer 
almost 35 years ago, when I my first day as a lawyer, I had to put together a motion record to dismiss for delay an action that had been alive for, at that point, 12 years. And so I went through the entire record and did an affidavit setting out the record. And I was cross-examined. And the lawyer on the other side, um, Bill Trudell, was a, a very prominent um, criminal lawyer, used to doing a lot of jury trials. And so we were arguing the motion. And one of the arguments that Mr. Trudell made was to criticize the plaintiffs for um, not swearing affidavits on the motion to dismiss. This, it was a libel action. Um, and, and as he's doing this, he said, in, instead of the defendants swearing their own affidavits and submitting themselves to cross-examination, they send set up a wet behind the ears first week lawyer to to do the affidavit for them. And as he's making these submissions to Justice Rutherford, he walks by me because jury lawyers will pace back and forth across the court. So he's going across the courtroom. And as he as he's saying this to the judge, he turns to me and winks. And I realized then this is all a play. It's all an act. It's a, it's kind of a script. And it's a script that you don't know what's going to happen next. And you improvise and you make up the script. And you, you know, that's that's the fun of this job. Um, is that uncivil? I didn't take it personally. I didn't think it was uncivil. I thought it was actually very clever. And we won the motion, got the case dismissed, and Unfortunately, the Court of Appeal disagreed later on and, and um, reinstated the case, and it, it ended up my first trial, and, and we lost that trial. It was a four-week trial um, that, that we lost. It ended up, this case went to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, losing a trial is a horrible experience that I recommend to every lawyer, because what I did you it. do... <laughs> If, if you haven't lost, I mean, if you haven't lost, you haven't learned. And I learned a lot. Um, Sheila Block was the lawyer for the plaintiff, did a fantastic job. Um, and you see the difference that lawyers can make in, in a trial. Um, and I, I learned a lot from watching um, Sheila do perform and, and do a fantastic job. You know, what you do, I think, over over time is you you want to win more than you lose. You better win more than you lose. And and really, if you think about it, because you can always settle a case, you should win most of your cases. I also think, though, that if you win every single one of your cases, then it probably that you take to trial, then you're probably selling your clients a bit short. Not every case needs to settle. Sometimes there's cases where it could go either way and, and you should take a shot at it. And, and you, know, you discuss the risks with the client and, and take a shot. So to me, I guess the, the, the ideal outcome is your record should be 75%, 80% wins because you should be smart enough to avoid ones that are sure losers. Settle those um, change, you know, do do your best to put forward the mitigating facts and settle. 
And, and that's really what, what good lawyers will do. And that's why you can win more often than you lose. But if you win everything, then, then you're probably settling cases too easily. And, and so I think that's sort of a, a, a way to look at it. Um, you know, go ahead. I, I'm, I fear, so, I fear interrupting you because it's, it's a river of gold and who am I to block it? <laughs> well, what have your experiences been with civility? Well, first of all, I really liked your story about the wet behind the ears, wink, wink episode, uh, at the motion to dismiss for delay. And your sudden realization when you were only uh, in your first year, I guess, of practice that everything, it's all a play. And, you know, it, unlike you, it took me years to realize the apl application of, of, of this, of these words from Shakespeare to our profession. And the words are, and they are pinned to my Twitter profile, <laughs> all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players they have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his time plays many parts. And these are my probably by far most favorite words from Shakespeare. And I think your story is really uh, an illustration of that. Um, I, I certainly had a lot of experience with incivility, but the trend is on the decline. So the longer I practice, the less incivility I experience. And uh, I, I also acknowledged that of course, uh, I am not a member of a group that is normally the target of incivility more than others. I, I have a pretty intimidating appearance, and uh, I'm, uh, I certainly benefit from that. But also with experience, and the more people, the more lawyers, the more colleagues you know, the less of that you experience. The stories that you told, I actually, I don't think I would, I wouldn't consider them in civility. If that happened to me, I would uh, consider that to be uh, uh, something fun happened finally, some to interrupt the drudgery of this day, and uh, especially an opportunity to exchange Shakespeare quotes and letters. Although clients don't like paying for that anymore, <laughs> for for that use of our time, and so I, to me, it always. It really has been uh, quite methodical, and uh, I would treat opposing counsel that don't want to be good to me, I would treat them as forces of nature. And you don't get offended at forces of nature. You don't get offended at probabilities. You don't get offended at uh, accidents. You don't get offended at random events. So you just plan for them, you, you, you prepare for them, and then you handle them. I don't take things personally. I have very thick skin. My problem is, is is the opposite. I worry about other people considering me uncivil because I feel I'm a little bit uh, too thick skinned. I feel I, uh, I lack emotion uh, to the sufficient extent. And maybe that's a shortcoming of mine. I feel that emotion, which I evaded a, lo a lot in my early years, I feel it actually is a tool uh, to uh, uh, advance cases and to promote clients' best interests because it helps settle, it helps negotiate, and it helps also understand the facts better. So I'm I'm learning, I'm developing that side of mind. Maybe I will become more sensitive to incivility as a result. I don't know. We'll find out. 
One thing that I wanted to ask you about, we talked a lot about the relationship between a council. I want to talk about your experience and your relationship with judges. And if you if you have any stories that you want to share over the years, how has how have judges changed over the years? You have this long term view uh, on, on that topic. And how has the relationship between the bar and the bench evolved over the 35 years of your career? Um, well, let me start with recent times um, and, and, and say post-COVID, um, right now the, the motion um, wait time is crazy and there's a, a, an incredible pressure that everyone in the justice system is, is feeling. And I, I've seen this with judges. They are really hardworking people. They are trying to do a job. I, I have seen some of the, the most impressive judging. Uh, I was um, doing an appeal in, in a provincial offenses court. Um, and they were hearing uh, appeals of people who, one, one of the appeals was someone who um, pled guilty and paid a speeding ticket and then um, tried to get an appeal of it and, and reopen it because they found out afterward that their insurance was going to go up. And so they brought an application to court, got, got um, had it dismissed and, and tried again at the appellate level. Um, what uh, they lost uh, as is predictable, but what I was very impressed with was that the judge, it was Justice Cooper in Newmarket, um, took the time to explain why um, to the to that litigant who was self-represented to explain why it was that they lost their case um, and treated them with respect, treated everyone in the courtroom with respect. And yet the the lists were long. Um, everyone had to wait. Um, my appeal didn't get, heard until 2.30 in the afternoon because there were there was all this stuff and we didn't get finished. Um, and, and it is a system that needs to be um, reorganized, needs more resources, and everyone is struggling under that. Every judge is feeling that pressure because they're all wanting to do a good job for the litigants, for the public, and they feel frustrated. And that frustration um, is is often very visible, um, and and yet when when they get to focus on the issues, they focus on the issues and they do a good job. I I think we are very well served by our, our judiciary, um, and, and I I think there are as a whole. I think there are some judges that are definitely better than others. Um, some judges who are are um, sometimes let their own frustrations show through in their demeanor in court, and I think that's unfortunate. But that you know, it, that's part of you know. One thing I was taught early on is the first thing you do when you go to court is find out who your judge is and know that judge. Do some research on the decisions that judge has decided. Get some talk to some people who've appeared before that judge. 
um, if if you've never if you've never done that before, so that you're prepared because your clients want you to win, and there are different ways to win. Um, there was I saw recently Justice Montgomery um, just passed away, and there were all kinds of tributes to him. Um, he was a judge who was a very, very good in some ways, um, but he was also a judge who made up his mind on a case before you'd even walk into the courtroom very often. Um, he, he was still would listen would, and, and give you a good hearing, but you always had the sense that you, you knew where he stood. That is, in, it, with some judges, it's, it's a good thing. Other judges, it's not a good thing. And, and it really depends on their demeanor. I, I think the, the foremost quality that a good judge has is respect. They respect people and treat them respectfully. And to me, that is the essence of the system of justice is it, the administration of justice is to treat everyone with respect, even as we're throwing the book at them or, or giving judgment against them. It, it's will the person who is the loser in a case feel like the judge listened? Will mm -hmm. they feel like the judge treated them respectfully and disagreed with them? Um, and it is not always the case that litigants who lose blame the judge. Um, and, and that's where, where if, and if you realize that, um, a friend of mine told me a story of a, a labor arbitration that he lost. And um, it was a hard fought battle and, and the client lost. And after came up to him and said, you know, I know we lost, but I just want to say thank you because you spoke up for me and you fought for me. Um, that's what we do. And that's the the what makes the system of justice work. Um, and I think that's it, it, it's a good thing. So I, I generally think the the judges are are good. I you know on, on I think I, I've I've had the the luck of working with a lot of people who ended up being judges, um, both at Steichman Elliott and then at Janae Murray and then at Heenan Blakey. And and there, every every one of the people that I knew that ended up becoming a judge was a decent person, um, and they were a smart person, and they were a person who cared for their job. Um, I want to I want to go back to something you said a lot earlier in, in, in about survival. Um, and I want to disagree with that. I think survival is something that you do, but I think we need to set our sights far higher and better than mere survival. What we need to do is have fun. We need to thrive. We need to, to feel like we're in charge of our destiny. And, and I think that's, that's where, you know, when you're, when you're, if you're, a young lawyer, decide where you want to be and what you want to do and how you want to make your mark and keep that in mind and never waver until you reach it or don't reach it because you never, you never always, 
reach your goals. If you do reach your goals, then set new and higher ones because what this is about is striving to be better, striving to learn, striving to develop. It's constant improvement and learning. And I, I learn something new every day. I learned something new yesterday. I, I learned something new from listening to you. You always learn and you learn from your colleagues, you learn from your clients, and, and you learn from putting the work in. Um, and, and I think that's the other thing where I think there's been a big change. And I think it's tied in with the pessimism. Uh, when I started, I was working at a, a big firm at, at State Familia. It, it was one of the firms that was considered to be a place where hardworking people were at. And the, the interesting thing was there were no targets. There were no, no one ever said you have to stay. No one ever said how much time you had to put in. What it was, was you had interesting files and you wanted to do a good job and win them. And, they, and, and you wanted to be the best lawyer you could be. And you're working with other people who are smart. And let's, let's face it, as lawyers, anyone who can get into a law school is a smart person. Um, we're all smart. And, and, and this is a job where you also, if, if you're a litigator, you want to win. Um, you take two smart lawyers and put them in court on a case, the odds are that they'll end up sawing them off. If you want to do better than that, what you have to do is work harder than the other person. Um, you have to know every aspect of your case, be totally prepared, and throw yourself into it. If that means doing some research to, to find that one case is going to make the difference or or thinking about how to cross-examine or just knowing the, the knowing the file better, you do what it takes because you want to be good. You want to live up to the, the responsibility of being, being able to argue a good case. It's not about, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure I, I gave up some social opportunities to work a lot of times, but I never felt that I was forced to do that. I did it because I wanted to. My colleagues were doing it and I didn't want to let the team down. Um, and I I loved what I was doing. And, and one of, uh, I want to mention another thing that I learned from Peter Howard at, at Steichman's. He said this probably about 30 years ago to me, he said, you know, practicing law is actually an easy thing to do if you're content to be mediocre at. It's not that hard to master if you're content to be mediocre. But if you want this, to be really this, good, I agree with this so much. This is such a good point. You have to work hard. And yeah. the good lawyers will work hard. You can't work hard at something if you don't love what you do. If you don't at least love or respect the law a bit, like your clients, want to win your clients, and have subject matter of your files that interest you. Um, if you're stuck in a job that is uninteresting, do something different, it, because yeah. <laughs> you won't last if you hate it. Um, and that's the, the one thing I've seen over the years is, is 
you come back to survival. To me, survival equals succeeding because if you want to succeed, all you really need to do is like it enough to stick around and things get better. You learn more, you get more competent because you never forget the lessons you learn along the way. Absolutely. You know, one of one other thing that um, strikes me about your career is how you've had this long-term view of many different firms. Law firms are, of course, one of the most common forms, or at least one of the most, I guess, desired forms of organization uh, of, of lawyers to practice law together. And uh, you uh, started at Steichman's in 1986. And then uh, after more than eight years, you moved on to Janet Murray, where you stayed for five years. And I think that firm is still around, right? Janet Murray. Um, yeah, what happened was at Janet Murray, we, um, we had sort of three different areas. We had a, a commercial litigation group. We had a municipal group we had a an insurance defense group that did a lot of um, school board and and um, lawyer defense work and we had a labor practice um, and we ended up merging with Heenan Blakey so 17 of us went from Janae Murray to Heenan Blakey mainly in the commercial litigation and labor groups the insurance defense lawyers um, realized that a, a big firm with high overheads um, wasn't what their clients as insurance companies um, would be willing to pay for. It didn't make sense for them because insurance companies um, crush clients on rates or crush, crush lawyers on rates. So you, you can't have the expensive overhead. Um, the Janae Murray name was a, uh, for for those around um, was a, a very well-respected firm and name, and they wanted to continue that name in out of respect for for Janae and Murray. And and so they continued um, the the first Janae Murray partnership wound up and and they used the name to start their new partnership and continue on. And they've been very successful and they're the, you know, the, a lot of them, my my former colleagues, are again quality human beings and quality lawyers. They're really smart people. Um, Janae Murray was formed when I was articling, and I I remember seeing it. Um, Pierre Janae was one of my heroes from afar. I grew up in Alberta, but I was it was around the time of the Charter of Rights and the constitutional battles. Pierre Janae was. Um, the I, I understand he actually wrote the charter. Um, he was very tight with the federal government. He argued the patriation reference um, was a a treasurer of the law society, fully bilingual, um, and and lawyer for Ontario Hydro, a, a really top notch lawyer at Castles Brock, um, in it in its first heyday. And um, all of the Janae Murray lawyers basically came from there, um, from the litigation group there, and set up this, this new firm to do things differently, a, a litigation boutique. And it, it was an interesting idea. 
um, one that that had some appeal to me. I I went there along along with um, at three other colleagues from Steichman Elliott in '94. Another two joined us a couple of years later, and again it was it was what was interesting about it was the different styles that different lawyers had. Um, I, I mentioned Paul Rulo, um, who was a, 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 a you you know what Paul Rulo is like if you've seen him on television. He's he's incredibly smart, incredibly hardworking, and also very nice. A, a really nice person who who cared for other people. Um, there were some great lawyers. Um, Eric Murray was one of the legends of the of the bar. He was Canadian bridge champion for 35 years in a row, um, went to world championships, personal friends with Charles Gorin and Omar Sharif, um, and probably did more appeals in the Court of Appeal than any other lawyer that ever existed. Um, and he didn't really take cases. He took crusades um, and threw everything into his cases. And he was a sort of old style curmudgeon. Um, he, he was a curmudgeon on the outside with a heart of gold. Um, and uh, the, the typical, the, the one thing I remember him saying um, to me, he called me motor car because he, my initials were BMW. And, and one time he said, motor car, that, that letter was, was pretty good considering the source. Uh, and it was, um, he was sort of that type of person who would, who would mix insults with praise, but he said it with a smile and a twinkle in his eye and was, was just a, a great lawyer. Um, I, I remember one case we were bringing an injunction um, against a bank that had shut down a construction company, a big construction company, two weeks before Christmas. And, and so the, it was an injunction. We, we ended up getting a, a temporary injunction and then the, the matter resolved. Um, but what I remember is the letter we wrote and, and it, it was um, a tour de force of understated, um, but heavily rhetorical um, excess understated rhetorical excess um, in, in which he basically um, said, you realize that, that you're, there are hardworking families that you're putting, that you're putting out of work just before the holiday season. Um, and then at the end of the letter, he added, P.S., congratulations on achieving record-breaking profits for the last quarter. Um, just to me, a, a, a brilliant master stroke. And, and that was the type of lawyer he was. He was always thinking and was at this point, he was in his 70s already. And, and he was also a stickler for the English language and for grammar. Mm -hmm. um, working with Eric Murray, I found myself becoming more and more like him. And it, it scared me because Nobody in Alberta, where I come from, um, takes care to avoid ending their sentences with a preposition. Um, and he did, and he taught me to speak that way. Um, 
When I left Jenny Murray at, at Vienna and, and Mr. Murray continued on for a few years after that, I, I realized I'm not Eric. I can't ever be Eric because I don't, I, my personality isn't well suited to being bombastic. I tried it at times. I do try it at times. It's a tool, but I'm not, it's not really me. And I think for young lawyers, what to what you need to figure out, and you don't you can't figure it out for the first five, 10, even in into 15 years, is what is your best self? When are which personality or which you is the most effective? Which one do other people like more and listen to more? Um, and you you've got to know who you are because if if you're faking it through your whole life, you'll never ever um, be be good at it. You if you know who you are, figure out what what your strengths are, and and put yourself in position where those strengths can actually help you. I think that is is an important aspect of growing as a lawyer. You know, the first year or so as a lawyer, if, if you're a litigator, you learn the rules and you learn the cycle of litigation and you learn the interplay. That that comes a bit later. Until you've done a trial, you mm -hmm. don't really know what discovery is about. Yeah. Um, because you you often do the discoveries, your first discoveries in your first years before you even have done a trial. And, and there's there are few enough trials, but once you've done a trial, you know what discovery is about, and you can you can do it better after that. So it so you you learn the the cycle of litigation, then you learn how to deal with clients, how to give opinions, which is a real difficult thing because you don't want to get it wrong, um, and yet you want to give clients good advice, and you want your clients to be happy. And you want the clients to have a good result. And those four or five different things pull you in different directions. Um, and it, it's not an easy thing to master. What you have to realize is you can't tell clients what they want to hear. Um, but what you do kind of owe clients is your opinion. And I think as a lawyer, we shouldn't be afraid to give our opinions. Um, because they are just opinions. You can be wrong. Other people can disagree. But if you don't have an opinion, you're not really giving your clients what they need. You, you, your job is to help guide them to make better decisions. So once you learn that part and how to deal with clients, then I think, and once you're, once you're dealing with clients, you learn more about yourself. You know, which which mannerisms which um, way of dealing with people is going to get you more clients is going to get confidence from your clients and and which things are not and which things do you not feel comfortable doing and and you learn more about yourself and sometimes there's some some harder lessons to be learned in that i i know a lot about my own um, weaknesses. I keep it a secret. I'm not going to tell you any of them, um, but I know them, and and I try and avoid avoid situations that cause those weaknesses to come to the fore. 
that that's um, a a trick that you do in as you get older. You the other thing you can do a lot is anticipate. Um, I was listening to Cynthia Keel's um, interview, which was was very good. I know Cynthia, and she's a a, a great litigator and a and a and a really fully together person. Um, and and what she said, and and I totally agree with this, is the, the more experience you get, the more you can see patterns, and you have a sense of what's going to happen. Um, and when you have a sense of what's going to happen, it, it, the easiest thing to do is to get in front of the parade and try and change the route a little bit. Um, that that's really what you do. Is it's not a predetermined outcome. Mm -hmm. It's a, a an outcome that is likely, but for your interventions. So your case when you get to trial should always be a better case than the case that comes in the door when you start. And, and we're like symphony conductors. If, if your trombone is off key, shelve it. Um, bring the other parts of the symphony to the fore and, and orchestrate the message that you're giving. Avoid focusing on your the weak parts of your argument. You confront them, sure, but but tell the story in a different way. Make the issue an issue that you can win on. And, and that means know when to give in. Don't be too stubborn. Um, don't insist on arguing everything. Pick your spots. Um, that you know, John Sapinka was widely regarded as, as one of the great lawyers. What his what I always heard from everyone about him and, and saw it was that he had a knack of getting to the point right away um, and saying things in a very straightforward, what's the justice of the case sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, I I went to the Supreme Court of Canada on his last appeal before he got appointed to the to the court. Um, it was a, a Competition Act constitutional case. And he started his submissions with my my lords, my ladies, my my argument can be summed up in one sentence. The civil remedy provision of the Competition Act is a valid exercise of the general branch of the trade and commerce power. And he, he said it sort of three words at a time so they could write it down. And then as he's doing that, one of the judges says, says I suppose you want to see that in our judgment. And Mr. Sapinka nods and says, it's a good sentence. And <laughs> that sentence was there at the end. Um, that's the essence of good advocacy and and it takes a lot of work to be able to to bring things to their essence what is the justice of the case what is the real argument you want to make and make a good argument one good argument is better than three okay ones and sometimes the other arguments detract from the good ones um, because you can't you know Keep it simple and and focus on what the just result is. Um, there's, I think, an element of 
the law is not our master as lawyers, as a society. The law is what justice requires. And you, you win a case by the justice of the case, and the law follows. It, it's nice to have cases to know what has been convincing to courts in the past. Um, and, and that helps. But at the end of the day, a judge makes a decision on the case before them, and, and you as counsel can present it in a way that, that makes as compelling a case as possible. If you focus on what's the real impact on real people of a decision like this that, that the judge has to make. And, and I think that's, you know, when you simplify it down, what we're doing as lawyers is helping courts come up with a fair result. That that's all it is. And yeah. and it's not that complicated. Just have to work hard at it. You know, Barry, I wrote these words down right now, and I will keep them written down and I will keep using them. You win a case by the justice of the case and the law follows. This is really deep and powerful and I completely agree. You found a great formula that I guess many lawyers are looking for. Thank you for I, I this. Didn't, I didn't find that. Um, I stole it. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes of the U.S. Supreme Court um, yes. was once asked, um, do you, as a judge, do you make law? And he said, sure, I made three of them this morning. <laughs> and, and that's what judges do. And that's what we do. And it's our contribution to society. Absolutely. I was just looking for the Oliver Wendell Holmes book on my bookshelf, but I couldn't find it. I guess it's at home. Um, so you win a case by the justice of the case and the law follows. Thank you for this formula, even if it came from Oliver Wendell Holmes. We stand on the shoulder of giants, but I find that we forget their names. And um, I, I thank you for reminding us their names. I thank you for te uh, telling us these stories. I thank you for this masterclass in litigation. And I can't wait to share this episode with our viewers. Thank you so much, Barry. Thank you. Thank you, Puletta. It's been a pleasure.